several different scriptures, but more specifically, we're going to be looking at this passage in John 14. I think it offers a, a lot for us. And, and in this, I'm going to tie in some of the experiences that we had in Puerto Rico this past week and see if we can make sense of some stuff. Now, I understand that some, it seems, you know, as a, the counselor in me wants to talk about various issues a lot because I see it so much. And, and I know that I, I talk about this topic a lot, but the Lord keeps telling me, uh, just trust me. I know what I'm doing, which probably means that there's at least one person here that needs to hear some of this. Uh, if you're that person, please let me know afterwards so that I know that this was a God thing and not just me forcing an agenda, okay? Uh, it's, it's helpful for me to know that God is, is talking and working in your lives. So let me start by telling you a dream that I had uh, just a few hours ago. <laughs> Crazy dream. But every once in a while, you have a dream, and it just freaks you out. It scares you. It leaves an impact on you. Sometimes you, you believe that it may come true, and there's a fear associated with it. Sometimes you think, wow, there's something to be learned here. And this is a dream that when I woke up, it was, it was uh, really bothersome. But, but here's the dream, and I'll, and I'll tell you how God and I have processed this after the dream. But in the dream, um, I had just came home, uh, Paige and I had just come home from a trip to Puerto Rico, although I'm assuming that was where we went because we're just coming home. Uh, but when we walked through the door, she noticed something right off the bat, and I was focused. I wanted to hurry up and get things unpacked. I wanted to get things put away so that I could go to bed because I have to preach on Sunday morning, right? And, and I still don't know what I'm going to preach on, so I need to get to bed and get focused on that. I need to get prayerful, right? And so anyway, I go and I do my thing. She's doing her thing. And then later I walk through the house again and I, I catch something out of the corner of my eye. And there was a dog in the living room. Now we have dogs. This was not one of our dogs. And I remember catching it and I'm thinking, there's something wrong here. I said, honey, would you come to the bedroom and talk to me for a minute? And so we go back there and I said, honey, what did I just see in the living room? And she says, that's our new baby. And I'm like, no, 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 no more babies, no more babies. Um, and then I started crying and I'm sitting on the bed crying and all of a sudden teenagers start coming in the bedroom and, and I'm and, and every time they come in, a couple of them, I shoved them back out the door and said, no, go away. I need to be alone right now. But every time I do that, they would keep coming. Now, understand, these were not the teenagers in our youth group. These were just teenagers. Some of them I'm recognized but didn't know their names. Others uh, I didn't know at all. But they kept coming. And I, and I felt really guilty for pushing them out the door and telling them, no, I don't have time for you. Get out of my life right now. Um, but anyway, uh, then the crying turned to anger. And then I remember in the dream actually having a thought, you know what? I need a gun. Right? So it went from welcome home dad to where's the gun? And, and so anyway, I wake up from that. And the first thing is that God is telling me that is a prophetic dream. Or that's not a prophetic dream. That's, that's basically just a dream to reveal a, a message to you. 
For one thing, it wasn't our actual home. This was a different house. The kids were all different faces. It wasn't our youth group. It wasn't our circumstances. So God was just basically teaching me, basically as I, I pondered at first, why would another dog make me feel the way I did? Why would these teenagers make me feel the way I did? And God communicated to me because you're at a point where another one would overwhelm you. Another one would cause anxiety in your life because you're already got a lot of anxiety and you're at the place where just one more may send you off the deep end. And so it's okay, then keep talking. And so in the process and talking to God about this, it was basically me basically explaining why I feel overwhelmed with with animals in the house. They overwhelm us, don't they? I mean, you have two huskies. You're, you're going to gather a pillowcase full of dog hair a day. When you have three cats, you're going to constantly be smelling poo or cleaning up, throw up, hairballs, or, or noticing damaged furniture. And so there's a lot of stress that comes with having these animals in your house. To add another one, is, is a, this is metaphorical. It just would send me, anyway, off the deep end. And, and, and teenagers, I mean, we've got our own kids. We have six of them between us. We have youth group kids that are our adopted kids. They come to the house all the time. They're always welcome. We always love having them there. And, and so at the same time, to add a bunch more to start from scratch with a bunch of other kids that I don't know yet or just getting to know, that can be bothersome and stressful as well. And so I started thinking about some Bible verses, and God started spewing them out to me. The first one was John 14, 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And so when you break it down, that word let means permit. Do not permit your hearts to be troubled. The word troubled is, um, is the word distressed. Do not permit your heart to be distressed. Do you recognize that when you're anxious, it's because you allowed yourself to be anxious? You permitted it to happen? Anxiety is not of God. Anxiety occurs typically because you are not where you should be with God. God is the solution to your stress and distress in your anxiety. He's not the cause of it. He's the answer to your problem. In Romans 12, 2, it says, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In Proverbs 23, 7, it says, For as a person thinks in his heart, so is he. Basically, you throw that all together with a verse I'm going to share with you later out of Matthew 4.17, but but I won't talk about that yet. When you put those together, it's basically saying that we as believers have to teach ourselves how to think differently. We have to teach ourselves how to think differently. Most of our anxiety and our fear in life is a learned response or a learned feeling towards a particular stimulus or a set of stimuli. 
So, for example, if you have fear of spiders, it's probably because you had one thrown at you when you were a child or got bit by one at some point or had some other type of a, uh, a traumatic experience with spiders. And so today, anytime you see a spider, you freak out. That is a conditioned response because of some stimuli, stimuli that you have been exposed to. Fear is like that. But we also have to train the we have to change the way we think. Spiders are not all bad. We have to think differently about them. And on the way home yesterday, uh, Amber sent us a picture of a, of a tarantula that was in her flower bed. And we said, did you kill it? And she says, well, no. Why would you not? It's a tarantula. I'm not a spider, spider guy, if you haven't gathered. But see, they don't have that fear of spiders that I do. Now, mine is a learned response a learned attitude, and I'm not sure why I have that particular attitude. I would have to go through a counseling process, which I know how to do it, of retracing my steps to figure out why I respond the way I do to that particular stimulus. That's what counseling does, and it is helpful. But what Jesus is saying is in the midst of these stimulus, these stimuli, is that we have to learn to trust in God. Uh, he is not only with us, but he has a plan for us. Now, now, Jesus said, trust in God, trust also in me. I am with you. Keep your focus on me. Help, let me help you with this. You see, the thing what we're going to find is, and this is the topic of today, is we're studying the way, the way, the person and the process Jesus makes it very clear to his disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. I am the way. I will comfort you. I will remove the distress. Just trust me with this. But you see, the part we forget is that he's also the process. He has a process of getting us to where we were, to where he wants us to be, hopefully in his eternal home, down the road. So it's a process. How do we go from being from here to being here? How do we go from immaturity to maturity? How do we go from distrust of God to fully trusting God? How do we come from, from chaos to peace? How do we come from brokenness and painfulness to a place of health? That's the process. And, and the process is the same for all of us, but it all looks differently at different times in our journey. But see, we have to commit ourselves as believers to the person, the way, but also the process of the way. The process is ugly. It's scary. It stretches you. It's painful. But that is the process because he's trying to teach us how to trust in him, how to be like him, how to respond differently to the same stimulus that we have been responding to incorrectly over the years. He's trying to teach us. So, so we need to be committed to the process as well as the person. In, in Hebrews 4.16, and this is part of the process, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 
grace and mercy. We approach the throne of grace, the Father's throne, and we say, Lord, I need grace and mercy to help me with this fear that I have, this negative stimulus that keeps uh, showing itself in my life. I need you to help me change the way I think about my life, about other people, about the process. And then he gives us that mercy and grace. And he helps us and he teaches us. Jesus said this to, uh, to one of the disciples. It was, uh, which disciple was it? It was a Philip. Um, Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Because he's saying, we don't know the way. We don't know the process. We're not even sure if we know the person. And Jesus is like, oh, brother, we got to have a talk here. You need to stay close to me because I'm going to show you some things and teach you some things to help you to come to grips with this so that one day you will say, I know the way, the person, and the process. So let me tell you this. A couple things in Puerto Rico. This is all hindsight stuff. This is stuff at the time I was angry about. I was bitter. I was anxious about. I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. But I didn't realize until this morning that God was teaching me some stuff. He was teaching, uh, teaching me, anyway, how to face some of my greatest fears. Uh, when I was uh, 17 years old, I uh, lied to my mom more than once. But on this particular occasion, I asked if I could go out of town, uh, about 20 miles or so, to another town to take this girl out for, for a date. And mom said, no, you haven't been driving long enough. You don't have experience. I don't want you leaving the county. So no. So I said, okay, I won't. Um, But I did it anyway. And so I went out of town, got there, picked her up. We went to see a movie, ate something. I brought her back home. The whole time I'm in the movie, pouring down rain, just pouring down buckets, right? Cats and dogs, the whole nine yards. And so after the movie, I take her home, and I'm not thinking much. I'm thinking, well, it's raining. I don't like driving in the rain, but that's what you do, right? So I drop her off, and I'm going back home, and all of a sudden, I get to a place where the road is underwater, all right? Now, understand, I did not learn how to swim until I was 16 or 17 years old. I was terrified of water my whole life. That's why I didn't learn how to swim. That's a different stimulus. My brothers subjected me to to, uh, some fearful events as a child that that conditioned me to just stay away from water. Don't have anything to do with it ever. But God has since then has been changing the way I think about water. But anyway, on this particular day, the water was really coming up high and it was moving fast. I could see twigs and stuff. I was uh, on a bridge. It had the concrete uh, uh, sidewalls, you know, but, but I have to get home. There's a police car at the other side with his lights on. Basically, he's closing down this road. But I'm like, I have to get home. I don't know how else to get home. So I start into the water, and I get into the water, and then all of a sudden, to to some point, the car dies. And I can hear the water hitting the side doors of the car, pushing my car ever so slightly. So I'm like, holy cow, what do I do now? Now, that's not exactly what I said. All right, but I'm a preacher now. Um, But anyway, and so I I said, Lord, you got to help me. So I tried to start the car. It started. I went about another four feet, and it died again. I hear water hitting. I can see water coming in under my car door on the left side, starting to creep up underneath the door. 
And I'm starting to get a little anxious, a little panicky. Remember, I can't swim. And, and so I start the car a third time, and I go about four feet, five feet. It stops again. And, and so now I can feel the car sliding more than just inches at a time. This is like six inches, eight inches at a time. I know I'm sliding towards the side of this bridge. And, and the water seems to just keep getting higher and higher. Four or five times, though, I prayed, Lord, help me get out of this. And finally, I got through it. But I shook the whole way home. I was scared to death the whole way home. Understand, I don't like water. But after we had spent the day with Jane Ramirez at the, at the mission, at the, at the camp, and then at the church, it rained buckets and buckets. And, and I had already, already knew this because every, it had rained almost every day that we were there. That's what happens in the summer. And every time we had driven this one particular road from Rincon to Mayagas, uh, it had water standing in certain areas. And when it rained harder and we had just gotten there, the water was a little bit higher. So I knew, I told Paige, I said, we can't go down this road. We can't go down. I just know this road is flooded. We can't do it. And she looked at the map and she says, but if we don't, we're going to go miles out of the way. And we don't know what the other roads look like. They might be worse. And the other cars in front of us were going down that road. A lot of them were trucks, <laughs> which they cheated. Um, but anyway, I finally said, all right, fine. And so I held on to that steering wheel, and I started going down that road. This was 13 kilometers, which I'm guessing is between 7 and 8 miles and so I, as soon as I, we get on this road, I can start seeing ahead where spots where this water was rushing over the road. And I'm telling my anxiety was so bad. And I would drive and the car would, would, would splash and the water would come up. And there are certain places you learn if the water is clear, you're okay. But if the water is dirty, if it's brown, then you know that this is a lot deeper and it's a lot more swift and a lot more traumatic for me. And at one point I said to her, I said, you have no idea how anxious I am right now. I can't do this. I'm scared to death. And so we have a video of this. I didn't get it prepped for you because I thought it was on GoPro. It's not. It's on her cell. But she can show you a video of this. When she started praying, Lord, pick up the bumper and carry us through this. And you will hear her say this for much of it. But I'm telling you, that was the most painful uh, drive of my life. And anxiety like I had never, ever felt before. And when we got through it, I just had this total relief come over me. It was terrible. The other thing, <laughs> there's more than one. The other thing is several years ago uh, in Pekin, Illinois, I... Um, I was pulled up to a stoplight, and I looked in my rearview mirror just in time to see this car behind me come plowing right into the back of my car. And when it hit my car, I had my seatbelt on, but I lifted up and hit my head real hard on the, the ceiling of the car, and then came down with my chest and hit the steering wheel. So I don't know where the, the seatbelt was, but, but anyway, so it, it bothered me, it hurt me pretty good. And so I went to the hospital and then went through some therapy to get back on my feet, but that was a, a, a troublesome thing. If you've never driven in Puerto Rico, um, don't. Um, Puerto Rican drivers, not all of them, but amazingly, a lot of them. 
they have to drive within two or three feet of your bumper. Regardless of your, of your speed, they have to be right on your bumper. And I don't understand that. But every time that, I mean, she'll tell you, every time that happened, I would start yelling at them. Would you please get off my bumper? There's no reason. Go around me already, you know. Get off my bumper. But they wouldn't quit. And that was stressing me out. It stressed me out every day, all the way until we got on the plane to leave. They, they just stressed me out so bad. And God reminded me this morning of that particular event. And said, that's why you're so stressed about this. Because you're afraid they're going to wreck your car. They're going to wreck you. And this is a rental. And if they wreck it, then insurance stuff. And then you're going to be tied up. You're going to miss your plane. All this other nonsense that goes along with it, right? Anyway, the other thing was last night, um, we were flying into Moline. And the pilot says, all right, you got 10 minutes. We should be landing in 10 minutes. Now, this is only a 27-minute flight from Chicago to Moline. And so he said, in 10 minutes, we're going to be landing. Well, 10 minutes turned into 20. And, and it was so weird because it's like we were circling the airport and I looked at weather bug. There was no weather problems at the time. So I'm trying to figure this out. And all of a sudden the driver just starts, the pilot starts acting crazy. It starts revving the engine and then slowing down, revving the engine, slowing down, tilting it this way, this way. And we're like shaking. And this was, we both agreed on this. This, we've been on many flights. This was the absolute worst flight the worst landing we have ever experienced in our lives. It was, I was gripping the the seat in front of me and she was wanting to videotape me again. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, turn that thing off. But it's like, you know, this is, this is mind boggling stuff. And, and finally he lands the plane and we're like, good Lord, what just happened here? But, but one of the things the Lord was talking to me about this morning is, you got to trust me. I'm trying to help you to overcome some things. I'm trying to, to give you an idea of how hard it is, not just for you to face your fears, but for other people to face their fears. In Matthew 14... 26 through 31. It's a, it's a cool story you know pretty well. Uh, they had just fed 5,000. And, and Jesus told the disciples, you all go ahead across the, across the, the, the water in the boat, and I will join up with you later. He goes up to the mountain to pray. The disciples get on the boat. They're out there. There's been a storm. You know, things are a little unsettling. But then about midnight, they see a ghost walking towards them on the water. And they, they exclaimed, it's a ghost. They were, they were crying. They cried, it's a ghost. Illustrating to me that they were afraid of ghosts. Even 2,000 years ago, there's certain things like that that scared people. And this, these disciples were afraid of ghosts. And Jesus said, yelled back at them, take courage. And then Peter says, Lord, if it's you, then tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, Come. So Peter gets out of the boat and begins to walk on water towards Jesus. But the scriptures say, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and he was beginning to sink. Notice, it didn't say he was afraid of the water. He was afraid of the wind. The disciples were afraid of the ghost. But when he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. 
illustrating maybe he was afraid of something in addition to the wind and the ghost. Jesus basically responded, you of little faith. So I just want to reiterate, reiterate, when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's not just saying, I am the person that you need to put your faith and your trust in so that I can get you to where you need to be with me. He's also saying, I need you to trust in the process. The way is difficult. The way is going to take you out of your comfort zone. It's going to take you to places you've never been before and didn't go before because of your fears. But I'm going to take you further than that. So he's telling the disciples we need to trust not just in his presence, but in his plan. His way is a process of overcoming demons in our lives, giants that we face. His way is about teaching us how to walk by faith. As it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. He's teaching us these things. But it's difficult. How do we keep our focus on Jesus when we're surrounded by the giants and the demons and the fears that we dread so much? How do we do this? You see, when, G- when Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, as long as his eyes were on Jesus, he was good. But when he started to look around at the winds and at the water and the other disciples in the boat that were like, dude, how are you doing this? this is, you can't be doing this. This is crazy stuff. When he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink metaphorically and physically. And the same is true for all of us, that when you're facing something that is so big and it terrifies you, how am I going to pay the bills with a single income? How am I going to recover from uh, from a spouse who just drops me and goes after someone else? How are you going to help me when I have cancer coming up or, or when I have a surgery coming up or my kids hate me? How am I going to face this this stuff? When I'm just terrified of what it might look like or what it might do to me. The message is you have to keep your eyes on Jesus. You have to keep your eyes on Jesus. If you don't, you will sink. This is his process. Keep your eyes on the way as you're following the way. And you will be okay. And then God started reminding me of some of my background. And um, my favorite type of counseling technique is CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And one aspect of CBT, which I had forgotten about, is an aspect called exposure therapy. And in exposure therapy, let's say again, you're, you're terrified of spiders. So we're going to expose you in little increments to spiders so that you can get accustomed to be sitting with them and cohabitating with them. Uh, and then we'll introduce more spiders or bigger spiders. Or we'll actually have you touch them or let them crawl on you, stuff like this. So, so in exposure therapy, we slowly and gradually condition you to rethink the way you think about spiders. And so God was, I I believe God was saying to me, I was doing some exposure therapy on you in Puerto Rico. I was exposing you to flooded waters because I need to help you overcome this particular phobia. 
I need to help you overcome this particular phobia with these drivers. I need to help you overcome this phobia of, of dying in an airplane. <laughs> I've never had a phobia of dying in an airplane. I think it would be the best way because it would be over just like that. Um, and since we're always in the back of the plane, at least we'd be the last ones, right? In theory. But anyway, exposure therapy. It works. In Matthew 4, 17, it says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. John the Baptist said it. Jesus said it. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. You're thinking, well, what does that have to do with exposure therapy? Ah, good question. Repent comes from the Greek word metanoia, which means to repent. But that means to either change your mind or to change how you think. So, so here's the thing. In the process of maturity and, and, and spiritual growth, we have to get to a place where we not only recognize our issues or our concerns. That's only part of the process. In AA, that would be like you going to AA and saying, okay, well, I, I believe it. I agree. I'm an alcoholic. See you all later. That's not going to help you. Just recognizing. That's the first step is to recognize you have a problem. The other steps are to help you to deal with the problem, retrain your thinking so that you can work around that problem or overcome that problem. Well, isn't the same true in the church, in, the, in, the, in the, our spiritual life? Don't we have to rethink the way we do things? I, I've been thinking about this. Um, you know, I think a lot of us, probably not all of us, but a lot of us have a fear of getting cancer. And, and I think that that scares a lot of us. I just don't ever want to get cancer. I just, or, or I don't want to get Alzheimer's. You know, you might have your own phobia. I just don't want this because of, of your experience, how you've been conditioned. You think to yourself, this has got to be the worst thing ever. I don't want this to happen to me. So for many of us, cancer is that stimulus. But... Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who wrote the book, The Five Stages of Death and Dying, talks about how at first we're in denial, we struggle with it, we barter with God over it, and then we get to the place of acceptance. You see, that's exposure therapy. To some degree, when you're going through the treatments, when you're going through the process of, of dealing with cancer, and you get to the place where you just accept it, this is my life. This is what's going to happen to me. And when you get to the place of acceptance, you also get to the place of peace, which is, by definition, the absence of chaos, the absence of fear. That's peace. But it comes with acceptance. It comes with the process. Now, the God, God's been very clear to me. I mean, he, he talks to me about this stuff all the time. And, and, and I understand this. I understand that when it comes to the church and how the church is supposed to function in God's eyes, not our eyes, but how the church is supposed to function, there is anxiety about this. When, when you get a new pastor and the pastor says, let's do this, let's do this, let's change this, let's change that, a lot of times there will be people with anxiety. This is real anxiety. And in many cases, it's the product of previous stimulus that you have experienced that had given you a bad taste. I understand that. But change still has to happen. 
change has to happen. Exposure therapy is trusting God, trusting in him as a person, trusting in his process, his way as a process of getting you to the place where you're not fearful, not anxious, not terrified, but actually peaceful. I trust God that he has put the right stimulus in place at the right time in my life to accomplish the right purposes, the right results. And so I trust him. And so I think that's where all of us are. At different levels, different places spiritually, of course. You might be in a place where you, you, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to accept the fact I'm always going to be single. Do that. I would encourage you to get to that place because that's when peace will come into your mind. And that's when you might just be ready for the right person to come into your life because you've accepted your situation at that time. Maybe it, it, it's, it's about, you know what, I have an illness and I accept it. Here, here's one I've been really fighting a lot lately. And, you know, I joke about it all the time, but it's because of my fight. I'm old. I'm not chronically old like some of you. No, I'm kidding. But I am getting older. And with old age comes grief, limitations, restrictions. There's certain things I can't do anymore because I'm older. I can't dunk a basketball anymore. Last time I dunked a basketball, I was 40 years old. <laughs> I like that. There would, be, there would be some people that would say, you know what? I can't run a 20-minute mile anymore. I can only do it in 21 minutes. There are some people who say, you know what? I can't eat an entire angel food cake anymore. And then pass it on. Um, there'd be some people that say, you know what? I just can't sit through church anymore because I can't hear very well or I can't see very well or because I have nothing to offer anymore. Or you might just say, you know what? Um, maybe I won't go to church at all because I have faith in God. I know that when I die, I'm going to heaven. So why do I have to get involved at all? I'm just going to just stay home and enjoy my life. I, I'm pretty confident that everyone in this place has some kind of a fear, some phobia that is, is holding you back. Maybe you might need some exposure therapy. You know, it does work. Um, counseling does help the grieving process. Maybe you're afraid to just show your weakness or to show the fact that you have no faith. Maybe your faith is so little that you just can't believe God can do anything with you or through you, and so you just gave up. I think God has taught me this week that every one of you um, should still have hope, that your situation can change. You can mature beyond this. You can overcome this crisis of your faith. It might take some work, but God is the way. He'll, he'll guide you through it. Because he has a plan for your life. And that's all I have. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we know that you, you have a plan. 
we just like to sell, sell you short. And we like to be in denial because we are at a place where perhaps we just don't want to work anymore. We just don't want to squeeze anymore. We don't want to disrupt my comfort level anymore. But Lord, we know that this is your way. And I'm just giving you my I'm giving you permission, Lord, to keep doing what you're doing so that I can become the person you are calling me to become. A contributing member of this body of Christ. Please, Lord, help me to be patient, help me to be kind. Help me to be loving, but help me to always be trusting that you are with me. In Jesus I pray. Amen.